All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine breaking into an NHL front office as a green 26-year-old in a 21-team league and waking up 33 years later, having outlasted almost everyone. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking, presented by Betway. If you're going to place a bet, bet on Betway. Ontario only, 19+. plus. Please play responsibly. My guest this episode is St. Louis Blues General Manager Doug Armstrong. Having broken into the league in the most quiet way, and we'll hear about that in a bit, Armstrong has carved out a Hall of Fame-worthy career for himself. Armstrong is now the longest-tenured GM in the NHL after David Poyle's retirement last spring. He joined the Minnesota North Stars in 1990 as an assistant GM to Bob Ganey, who was also the head coach, and 13 years later, after helping Ganey and the Stars to the Stanley Cup in 1999, he was promoted to GM. Armstrong held that role for parts of five seasons before being fired in 2007 after posting what still stands today as the best point percentage by a GM in Stars history. After a year out of work, Armstrong was hired by the St. Louis Blues as director of player personnel and became GM just two seasons later when Larry Plough stepped down. Over the last 13 years with Armstrong, the Blues enjoyed arguably the most sustained window to win the Stanley Cup in the NHL, and they finally broke through in 2019 with their first cup in franchise history in Game 7 in Boston. They did it! It's over! The game is over! The series is over! The wait is over! And the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions for the first time in franchise history! In the playoffs, I felt that we were competitive every night. You know, our, any time we had adversity, the guys answered the bell and uh, the St. Louis Blues just have done 
so proud and so honored to work with these guys. They've done it! His path to the NHL is unique. His black and white view of the cyclical nature of team building is fascinating. He's won gold medals, GM of the year, and his name is etched on Lord Stanley twice. Here's my conversation with Doug Armstrong. Doug, uh, you recently celebrated 1,000 games as St. Louis Blues general manager. Uh, You are now the longest tenured GM in the league with David Poyle's retirement. How does that hit you for a guy that first stepped into this role in Dallas at the age of 37? Yeah, it's a, it's been a whirlwind experience. And uh, you know, certainly my time in St. Louis, I've really enjoyed. And my time in Dallas, I obviously enjoyed also. But uh, it's funny how quickly the, the years go past. And you see, I remember coming in and looking at guys like Glenn Sather and uh, Harry Sinden and uh, Bill Torrey. And now to be in this for 20, you know, for, for a while, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's humbling. Well, there's no doubt there's still, you know, some of the, I don't, I don't want to call it old guard, but you still have Lou Lamorello in these meetings. Like when you s- sit at a GM meeting though, does it, does it feel a little strange to know that you're one of those guys that's been there that long? Yeah, it does. Obviously I, I look up to, to Lou and to Kenny and mm-hmm. uh, there's so many people in those meetings, uh, you know, hall of fame players that, that I love to listen to their experiences, but you do look around and you, and you see different faces and fresher faces and new faces. And uh I re- I remember, as I said, starting as a manager, and now I'm talking to younger managers with kids and and things that uh, you know, young kids, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just I, it brings back memories, uh, great memories actually. Uh, I talked to Kyle Dubas quite a bit, and I really enjoy. He's he's going through a great part of his life now, a new transition into a different team. Uh, I went through that going from Dallas to St. Louis. He's doing that from Toronto to Pittsburgh, and it's a it's a great experience for your family too to to try something new and uh, just seeing guys go through things. I, I find it uh, interesting. I want to back you up and actually ask you about the start. Minnesota with the North Stars, late eighties, early nineties, nineteen ninety, ninety ninety one. Yeah. Okay, that was your first front office job yes what were you doing before that uh i was actually in college uh, and i spent one year working in washington uh just got married in uh in august and i got a job for the capitals actually working in the ticket office or the sales office trying to get in into the game and then bob clark uh, gave me uh, my first opportunity in hockey operations to be part of that that group uh that team had, uh, was going through a dispersal uh, we had the, the one team in 1991 that mm-hmm. actually went to the finals Final, and yeah. then uh at the end of that, uh, San Jose took half of the players of the North Stars. So it was an interesting time. But nineteen ninety one was my first year there and working for Bob Clark and Bob Ganey. What a Les Jackson always said, like I, I got my MBA uh from Harvard working with those two guys. So how did you make the jump from ticket office guy to hockey ops guy? Well I know that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. And you spent a long time around the game if for our listeners that don't know, your dad, Neil, was a longtime Hall of Fame linesman. But how did someone think of you from ticket guy to hockey ops Well, guy? Uh, you know, I, I got my my uh, business degree and I wanted to get into hockey, but those jobs aren't there. And, and David Poyle gave me an opportunity uh, with the understanding that I would start in, in, in an area I didn't really want to be in. But he let me go to the Baltimore Skip Jacket Games. Uh, I, I did some video work for him uh uh, before video was was uh, in vogue, uh, and he just let me be part of their hockey operations from uh, from a distance, doing certain projects. Uh, Jack Button allowed me to do some scouting things for him, putting some stuff together, and then the next year I went to the uh, annual meeting was in uh, June, I think, in uh, in Vancouver, 
And I started just hanging my resumes out under under managers' doors, and Bob Clark actually picked one up and said, uh, "I remember he said uh, I'm going to give you this job because I know your dad, but just know your dad won't keep this job for you. It's up to you from now on." And that's always stuck with me that uh, you know you need an opportunity, and then it's up to you what you do with that opportunity. So was Doug Armstrong? I'm thinking of the tech in 1990. Cutting video, like you're dealing with VHS and yeah, all yeah, sorts of disc stuff. To disc, yeah. <laughs> or, Were no, you any good at it? T- no, I was awful at it. <laughs> <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, you know, uh, Brian Murray was the uh, the coach at the time, and then Terry took over, and Doug McLean was down in uh, with the Skipjacks, and just going in and, and being a fly uh, on the wall and listening to them talk about hockey. Uh, having David, I, David was very nice to me. You know, I was obviously one of the few people that had access to, to the general manager, uh, from, from the uh, business side. And he would share stories with me and he allowed me to do a little scouting and, uh, it's just an opportunity. And I think that's what you need in life. You need someone to give you an opportunity and then what you do with it is up to you. Have you passed that, that on? Have you pushed that forward to the next gener? Like when someone comes up to you at a, you know, at a meeting or sends you an email or whatever it might be, how do you, you know, pay that forward? Well, uh, when I when I got to Dallas, we hired David's son, uh, Brian Poyle. We brought him into Dallas, and he actually went and worked for our team in uh, Salt Lake City. And you know, it, it's not you don't want to be uh, just hiring people from inside the game, but you also know that everyone needs an opportunity. Ryan Miller, who uh, our assistant GM now, uh, not the goalie, but uh, uh, in, in uh, St. Louis, came from the agent business. And when when you give people an opportunity, uh, that's all they they ask for, and then they take it from there. And so. Uh, I always try and, and remember that it, it's difficult industry to get in, but once you uh, give someone an opportunity, you hope they uh, they they run with it. And Brian Poyle now assistant GM in Nashville. Yeah. Um, when you look at the time you spent with Bob Clark and Bob Gainey, obviously Bob Clark moved on, I think, to Florida after that. But your time spent, you know, learning the business in Minnesota before moving to Dallas. What stands out for you in terms of all the different areas of the team that you touched and and the things that you were able to learn? Well, I, you know, it was, it was a small uh, hockey operations was small back then, and then uh, how uh, many people would be on a staff? Five or four or five, maybe, in the whole hockey operations staff that actually lived in Minnesota and worked there. And so you get to do a lot of things. You have to do a lot of things. You have to be, you, you know, the jack of all trades. And so when Bob. Clark left, Bob Ganey became the coach and the manager. And that was obviously the, the biggest break I got because he needed someone to try and help on the, on the business side of it, of hockey operations as he was coaching. And, uh, I tried to fill that, that area, that void for him and learn from him. And, uh, you know, Bob Clark was, you know, I, I look at him as, as my, a great mentor. I, so many things he taught me in the two years I worked with him uh, stick with me uh, today uh, about selflessness, about team first, always looking to do what's best for the organization. And then obviously the number of years I spent with Bob Ganey when he got out of coaching and just became a manager, uh, we had a lot of time together to talk. And uh, those guys have, have really, I was actually thinking about that this morning, like the the people that really affect your life. You know, uh, my dad is a Hall of Famer. Bob Clark's a Hall of Famer. Bob Ganey's a Hall of Famer. And Ken Hickox is going to the Hall of Fame now. And so, like, I, I've been very fortunate to work with really great people. And obviously, my father, knowing, he, he was such a huge influence on me, just his work ethic and what he did. And not only as an official, but then scouting for for 20-plus years. And the respect he had from people around the league is something that, uh, you know, I, I hold dear. Yeah, it certainly stands out for sure. So you transition to the team moves to Dallas, and obviously the team's really good. You guys 
for a period of five, six years, have one of the best teams in the league, a chance to win every year. You break through in 1999. At some point, you get a chance to become general manager in 2002, I think. And then you have four and a half years before you end up getting fired in Dallas. How different is Doug Armstrong, the manager now, compared to when he first started? You know, looking back on it, it was is taking over for Bob Gainey. I tried to emulate Bob probably too much. I tried to follow in his footsteps and and uh, fill the void of his footsteps, and that was a mistake. I, I I tried to be Bob, not Doug, and I learned that when I left. That you know what, just be who you are, be yourself, and and try and if that's good enough, great. If it's not good enough, at least you're going to go on your own terms. And you know, I really enjoyed my time as a manager. Like it was five and a half years in Dallas. I I enjoyed every every bit of it. When I got let go. I was hoping to get a second opportunity because as everyone says, you're always better your second time around as a coach or a manager because you know, you know what you don't know and, and you're much more, I was much more comfortable seeking assistance and seeking help and understanding that the players and everyone around you wanted as bad as, as you did. I think when you first start out, you think you want it more than everybody else. And that's just not reality. Uh, and you know, those experiences of skinning your knee and learning, uh, hopefully St. Louis paid, uh, got the dividends of me doing that in Dallas. Well, they certainly have, and you have your name etched on a Stanley Cup together to prove it. When you think to you know your time in St. Louis, and and now you guys are in a bit of a different spot as you're transitioning from a team that won the Stanley Cup to then now trying to get back to that again. Just from a personal standpoint, do you wear it differently now? The wins, the losses, the highs and lows. Do you? Does it feel different um, in terms of how you process all that because you do have that experience in your back pocket? Yeah, I, I do. I, I you you go into every year wanting to win every game, but you know we we went through twelve years or ten to twelve years, depending on how you want to look at it, of really strong play. And there's an evolution of the game. You know, you you have to go down to go back up. And uh, I'm very comfortable where we're at as an organization. I'm comfortable that we have a plan. I'm comfortable paying the price you need to pay to to see that plan through. Uh, we started it last year, obviously didn't go the way we wanted, but it jump-started our rebuild. Uh, you know, we, we were able to get first-round picks for players. Uh, so now you look back today, we have uh, seven first-round picks since 2020, tops in the league. And so I think our rebuild is going to go quicker than than maybe some, but we're not going to rush it. We're not going to – we're going to stay consistent to to our belief and, and uh, how we want to build this and what we're going to do. And we're willing to take some lumps along the way. We want to win every night, as I said. But we understand that keeping young players in the American Hockey League for a while is beneficial – Putting players in a a position to fail is not as good as putting players in a position to succeed, and and so we want to build that foundation, and uh, we're we're going through that now. I, what I want to do is when I do leave the St. Louis Blues, I want to leave it in a spot where they they can have a next uh, another decade of uh, long run. And so, in the meantime, as you mentioned, you still want to try and win every game. That's kind of a different approach than some of these other teams where they just completely tear it down to the studs and and try and rebuild it essentially what you're trying to accomplish in the meantime as you transition to you know the Cairo Thomas whatever era you want to yeah. call it that group of players of that age and generation you're trying to do the the thing in the sport that's kind of the hardest thing to do which is do it on the fly quite honestly i i don't think st louis could could survive 13 year out of the playoff 
you know, picking in the top five or six. I, I don't know if they could survive it, but you'd be playing in front of five and 6,000 people and, right. and it's not a good business model. And you have to know that. So what we have to do is we have to get creative. We have to try and, as you said, do this on the fly, uh, do it without a first overall pick. You know, maybe, maybe you get lucky in the lottery one year if you miss the playoffs, but we're going to have to draft well. We're going to have to develop well. We're going to have to do things, uh, sign free agents at the appropriate time. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult, but, I don't see it being, we're not a market that can sustain you, what, what some of these teams have gone through 10, 11, 12 years, seven, eight, nine years out of the playoffs. It's, it's very difficult. It's not just the market. You also have to have the owner that has the stomach for it too. Yeah. Well, I always say like, uh, you know, a, a rebuild, every, everybody signs on to a rebuild in June and July. It's in uh, November, December where they don't like it that much. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we, we try and obviously have a, a honest, conversation with our owner and, and his his ownership group on how we think this is going to progress and why we think we need to stay competitive as we're going through it and and they buy onto it now they could say no we want to take this right down and to do that though you have to move the thomases and the kairos because i just i i personally believe they're too good of players for us to go to the bottom <laughs> right you could never bottom out with them yeah so you have to you have to really try to bottom out and there's no guarantee you know, some years you you can get the first overall pick, and it can be uh, Sidney Crosby. And some years it can be Neil Yakupov. Yeah, I don't want to use any yeah, names, but right. it might not be Sidney Crosby. Right. And so you have to be uh, you have to pick a good year to have a bad year. <laughs> exactly, and you need a lot of luck along the way. So, is it fair to say though that I know last year didn't go the way you wanted it to? Did you think that you might have been better last year than you guys ended up being, or was this always the reality in the back of your mind? No, I thought we would have been better last year. Like, I, I mean, you have Tarasenko, you have O'Reilly, you have you saw what Barbashev did in the playoffs, and and really quality uh, secondary players in Achari and Mikola. Like they went on and played very well for teams. So when you if you put those five guys on any team, it should be a playoff team. And I thought that, you know, with with the players that we had and those five guys, that we would be competing in the playoffs and competing to to win a round or two or three or four because you never know when you get in there. And last year we just we just we fell. And uh when it became apparent that, you know, it wasn't the smart business decision to to double down with that group, we ended up making the changes, getting those first round picks and starting it. I thought this year would have been the start of the next generation and ended up being last year. And when did that does it just become evident? Like when did you finally sit back and say we got to change things up. It was probably around Christmas. Like you, you know, in 2019, we, we went, we had a rough start, but we were, we were a good team though. And we right. were, we were finding ways to lose games. We should have won last year. We were losing games that we should have lost. And there, there's a big difference. We weren't competitive. We didn't do the things that, that gave you hope that, that you're going to get out of it. And we were so streaky. Like we won three, lost eight, won seven, lost five. It was, there was too much uh, volatility in our group, and and we could never find anything that made anyone feel that there was going to be a, a stabling part that could move forward. So we made those decisions. Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professional you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So when you think back to 2019, though, like you could have had the same conversation then. I know you said the results and the sort of eye test part of it was different, but you were in last place in January. You could have begun to strip some of those pieces away at the deadline and gone the other way. Obviously, your team dictated that you didn't need to. And in fact, you didn't even really add anything that deadline, if I remember correctly. Is is it just a gut thing as a manager? How do you process that? Because you know, even the way this league is structured now, you're seeing teams that get off to a rough start and it's kind of the way the math works. It's panic time. You you make a trade, you send a guy down, you fire the coach, whatever it might be, you know, through your experience, the gut process of getting there. How did you know that was the right play in 2019? It was, it was A, the belief in the players and, and the way they played. Like, again, we we found unbelievably creative ways to lose games. <laughs> but we we were a good hockey team. And there was a belief in those guys. Now, if we had got to February and nothing had changed, if the good play was still resulting in losses, then we would have, we would have made changes. But the good play was resulted in wins starting in January. Bennington came in, and obviously the momentum of our team changed, our psyche changed, and he went on a run. And there was no question that in, when we got to February 1st that I didn't feel we would add to that team, but I knew we wouldn't subtract from it. Hmm. I want to take you back to June at the draft, and you had three first-round picks. And you had said at the time that you'd be very surprised if you walked to the podium all three times to make a pick. Why did you end up keeping all three? Were you trying to make some magic happen that you just couldn't? Things didn't materialize? What happened? Yeah, I would say that the last year's draft was interesting because there was no trades on on the floor. Right. And you never see that. I just think that... The first round flew by. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that go on to it. There's a lot of new managers now. And it's hard to make a trade. And when I, I, cause I was there as a young manager, you don't want to do anything that's not going to work out. And so you get into that, I'll make a trade as long as I win. And as you get more experience, you realize that if everybody wins, it's a good trade. So it was difficult to find uh, guys that wanted to make trades at that time. And we found that very early in the day that there was nothing going to happen. We were going to make those picks. We really had nothing uh, from noon that day, actually that whole week, nobody, nobody offers a, a real player for any one of those picks. And so we were always going to pick 10. There was no question we weren't trading that pick because we knew where we were going. But if we could have traded uh, one of the the second uh, two later first rounders for a player that was 25, that a team maybe wanted to, to another pick and start again that we believed in, but none of those players were moving that day. And so we, we picked and we're, now we're happy we did. Right. So I, I looked back in your playbook, though, and the previous time that you guys didn't make the playoffs, I think it was 17, and you traded Shattenkirk that, that year at that deadline, and you got first. 
and then you went out at the draft and you got Shen and you got O'Reilly and then those guys were the pieces that helped you win a Stanley Cup, does now not having made trades for those picks this time sort of lengthen the time that it's going to take for you to get to where you want to get to now? Does it slow down that process? Well, I, I think because if, if you look at the core that was there, that was a good team that needed people at that time. Mm-hmm. We're not that same group right now. We're not a player away from being a Stanley Cup champion. Now, you can get in the playoffs. You can go on a magical run. I've seen it happen. As I said, when 1990-91, Minnesota North Stars had 66 points and went to the finals. So strange things do happen in hockey. But I think to build something long-term, we want to keep those assets. When we moved Shattenkirk and brought in those other guys, we still had a heck of a core that was ready to win at that point. Uh, And so it's just a... Again, you, you, you do your one, three, five year projections, or we do that. And you have to be honest where you're at. And you could, you know, we're not, we're not looking to put a small bandaid on a, on a big wound. Uh, and so we're going to do what we think is right, short and, and long term. So what is the timeline then? I've said, like, I think the LA rebuild is something that, uh, that I, I thought Rob Blake did a great job. It could be a year or two, could be three. But I said it's not, you know, if, if it's if it's eight, nine, ten, eleven, then we failed. I think our market, you know, it dictates that that it's not eight, nine, ten, eleven. Uh, I think they're going to accept that it's a couple of years. Like we we we're we're, we're high on Snuggerud, we're high on Dvorsky, we're high on on these kids. But you, uh, Bullduke and Dean, that are in the American Neighbor. League, neighbors. But these kids aren't in, except for neighbors. They're all they're all either in. Uh, junior hockey or college hockey or first year in the minors. And you can't rush that. But I think in two or three years, when all of those guys are, are wearing the blue note, then you're starting to build to something. And I think that's what the Kings did. You know, then they went on and they added free agents and they made trade. They used some of the younger players to bring in more experienced players. That That's the model I think we will we'll try and follow. I know that's all part of the plan and that's sort of the, your mind is always on the big picture, but as someone that's used to in St. Louis and your fan base winning, you guys were in that window for 10 years at least. Is it hard for you to have patience? Like how do the results impact you on a day-to-day basis? Not as like they, they obviously impact you, but if you have a plan and you're comfortable with the plan, then you you know you know the process you have to go through. Obviously, when you lose and you're driving home, it's not fun. Like uh, you, you can say the any plan you want. That that drive sucks. <laughs> but you wake up the next day and you know it's part of the process. And when I look at the teams, like I, I look at St. Louis, I look at Pittsburgh, I look at Washington. These are teams that have been good for the better part of a decade, and we're all in the same spot. And we're all going to try and get back there different ways and quicker. You know, Pittsburgh doubled down on their group. We went the other way. We, <laughs> and I, I just think that you have to, you have to live in reality that there always has to be an ebb and a flow to an organization. You, you wish that you could stay at the top, but the reality is it's not a destination market. Vegas is, you know, New York, Toronto, you know, we have state taxes and, and it's a great place to raise a family and it's a great place to live. But free agents, they, you know, we're not on everyone's number one list to get there. So you have to, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to build it the right way. The, the good thing is, is when you, when we are a good team and you bring players in, they never want to leave because it is a great place to raise a family. And when you're bringing guys in at 28, 29, 30, they're looking for different things in their lives than they were at 19, 20, and 21. And so uh, our, our job is to, to create that, that uh, foundation that 
you know, in a year or two or whenever we decide it's time to, to start using our, our, uh, our assets to acquire players that we're going to acquire players and never want to leave. And, and that's what St. Louis does though. It does grab you and keep you there. Like I look at Alexander Steen that came to us, you know, Jay Bowmeister that came to us. They re-sign a uh, very few players really want to leave St. Louis. Uh, Paul Stastny just said he's, I think he's coming back. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a fabulous place to live. It's a fabulous place to, uh, to raise a family. It's a great sports town. So what we have to do is we have to build that foundation where good players want to come there and stay there. I'll leave you with this. Um, we just talked about some of the milestones that you've hit. Your name's on the Stanley cup twice. We're here at hall of fame weekend. You're on a hall of fame track for your career. What gets Doug Armstrong's juices flowing? Like what makes you excited to continue to do this day in and day out? I would say when we started this, it's, I'm at a different part of my life now. Like what I, what I want to do is I want to give back to the people I work with, whether it's Robert Thomas or Cairo, I, I want to build something that they can, they can take well past when I'm gone and have success at. And so what David Poyle did to me when I was starting, I want to do to other people. I want to give back to the game now. The game has given me so much, and quite honestly, I've taken so much from the game. Now it's time for me to give back to the to the game, and, and I start with the people I work with. It's a wonderful message. Doug Armstrong, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks to Doug Armstrong for joining Frankly Speaking, and special thanks to the fine folks at the Ritz-Carlton in Toronto for allowing us to crash the event floor to shoot the interview on Hall of Fame weekend. To watch my full conversation with Doug Armstrong, head on over to the Daily Faceoff YouTube page. As we wrap today's pod, wanted to introduce a new weekly segment presented by Crown Royal. It's called The Generous Guy because Crown Royal reminds you that generosity lives in the small things. Crown Royal, crown everything. And this week, my generous guy goes to perfect tie into this pod, Ken Hitchcock, who has worked with Doug Armstrong for 20 plus years now. This week, Ken Hitchcock was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Very recently, was also inducted into the Dallas Stars Hall of Fame. And, you know, there's been a big topic of conversation in throughout sports and youth sports. How do you push players? What's the best way to do it? And there's no doubt that Ken Hitchcock earned a reputation as a hard-ass coach. Where's the line? Hitchcock has acknowledged previously that he's pushed his players But to hear him explain his gratitude to them, I think helps us understand his viewpoint and the viewpoint of most coaches. We don't often hear them say thank you enough. So take a listen. To me, the players, one of the things that uh, just so you understand how I think I'm a very I was a very demanding driven coach, and I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud that I was that. And the reason I, was, I, would, I drove and I demanded was I really believed. I really believed that anything we could do, we could do specially together. And I really believed in my players. One of the things as you get older as a coach, you start to reflect on your career. And one of the things for me that I, ne- I missed out on was not saying thank you enough. And I'm here to do that today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your sacrifice and your commitment towards the team and myself in general but more important to what you committed to winning. And I know it was hard. And I know it's gonna be hard working with a guy like Pete because Pete's demanding also. But we're here for your best interest. And we're here for the best interest of the team. And one thing we never get to say is how much we love you. And that's the truth. And that you mean the world to us. Your success means the world to us. And all we wanna do is make you better. So congratulations to the players, especially those old guard that's here right now. You guys sacrificed a lot. 
so I could get some of the accolades. And I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for everything that you did for me. Thanks very much. From one coach in Ken Hitchcock to another who's now an NHL general manager, on next episode of Frankly Speaking, we'll be chatting with Nashville Predators GM Barry Trotz. And we'll leave you with Don't Play. Here's Malik Elijah on Frankly Speaking. I ain't going dumb. With these words, I'ma live forever. This shit right here, not for the common air. This shit right here, some buried treasure. X mark the spot to the goals that I'm attacking now. Where I'm blacking out, you think I had too many liquor rounds. Naturally, life separate the dogs away from feline. Evolving through revolving doors and turning to a phenom. Where that the mind spins, the pictures that I paint is beyond. Dirtied up the kicks, don't give a shit, could get some new ones. No disrespect the whole, but I'ma take the dinero. I got this gold on my neck, it make me feel like a pharaoh. I'm a fashionable rebel too, clean with the core. They attempt to copy, they gon' end up a subordinate Champion halves it, boy, my body keep the rain away Thank God I saved some rays for the rainy days It's all simulation, I create the world that I say And picture my world, whatever I say goes Ain't no relaxing on the weekend if I'm able to go Life too short and tomorrow's not promised Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.